Welcome to the Where Does It Come From podcast. We all have so much stuff in our lives and we're beginning to realise that the making, using and disposal of our items can cause harm to those who made them, the planet and even ourselves. I'm Jo Salter, founder of Where Does It Come From Ethical Clothing and Textiles Business and I'll be talking with some amazing people who've made it their life's work to do something about this creating businesses, campaigning, writing books and much more to help us understand and make better choices. This time I'm talking with Laura Cave, founder and director of Fair Trade Jewellery Business Just Trade and committee member and former chair of BAFTS, the UK Association for Fair Trade Businesses. A graduate of the School of Jewellery in Birmingham and the Royal College of Art in London, Laura Cave has over 20 years experience of working co-creatively with artisan craft makers in emerging economies. Just Trade supplies over 300 retail outlets in the UK and internationally, including independent boutiques and leading museums and galleries. BAFTS is a membership network of independent shops and suppliers dedicated to partnering with disadvantaged producer groups in order to provide long-term market access for their work. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Where Does It Come From podcast, where we explore all things relating to stuff and their impacts on people and planet. Today, I'm really lucky to have with me Laura Cave, who is the founder and director of Just Trade Jewellery Brand, and also heavily involved in the British Association of Fair Trade Shops and Suppliers, which is a bit of a mouthful, so we call it BAFTS. Anyway, I first of all want to start with getting Laura to explain to us all about what she does in her many roles and telling us about herself. Over to you, Laura. Oh, thank you, Joe. It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. So nice to see you. Yeah, so basically I started Just Trade about 15 years ago. We're a jewellery and accessories company and we work uh, with fair trade projects in South America, India and, and Vietnam. And we now mainly wholesale, so we mainly sell to independent shops, quite a lot of museums and galleries. We do two main things. So we do like a core range, which is available to everyone. And then we do an awful lot of bespoke designs, particularly for the kind of museum gallery sector. So if somebody's got a specific exhibition about something, then we can work with them to develop a product range to go alongside that. And then with Baths, I've been on the the board of Baths Fair Trade Network UK for four years now and I did three years as chair of the organisation so which was really amazing opportunity really interesting and quite hard work so <laughs> I can imagine I can imagine so you've got such a strong strong fair trade link which is partly why I wanted to talk to you because we've met so many times at various events and you know online as well with with conferences and things that you know your strong commitment 15 years is such a, a long time to have been working on your brand and for it still to be doing so well and then on top of that getting involved with wider collaborative work so fair trade is obviously really important to you but can you pinpoint for me what got you started with fair trade what was that thing that triggered you into it well there's a couple of things I was uh, when um when I was thinking about this I really clearly remember watching a documentary at school about sweatshops in uh, in and children being forced into making shoes. And that really stuck with me. And I was just like, 
oh my goodness, this is so wrong. This is not okay. And that always kind of stuck with me. I then went to university and I was in really two minds as to, do I go down something like the kind of psychology route that potentially could be seen as a bit more useful? Or do I go down what I really, really was passionate about, which was making things and creativity and do jewellery design? And I went down the jewellery design route and I was really sort of like, how can I, is there a way to use this in a way that could be impactful and be useful in people's lives rather than just making some pretty jewellery. So when I was between my first and second year, I studied jewellery at Birmingham and between my first and second year, I went to India and I did a little bit of travelling and a bit of kind of painting a school type thing and a bit of voluntary work. And I met these two arts graduates who'd both done textile design and they were working with a fair trade project in in Mumbai and I was just like oh my goodness this is what I want to do if I can do something like this it would be amazing the following year I had like one last summer holiday so I was like right so I'm gonna see if I can do some voluntary work maybe I could go and do something in India so I got in touch with the organization that they'd worked for and said oh please can I come and volunteer for you and they said no <laughs> so I was like oh okay then. um and they said but we've heard about a project in Peru maybe they'd be interested so I contacted them I just said look I haven't got any experience working in Peru but I'm willing to come and help if I can be of any help and so I went to Peru very naively didn't speak a word of Spanish just got on a plane, <laughs> went for a month to volunteer with this project and found the most amazing country full of the most amazing chatty people who were so friendly, loved a story and had a propensity to be late. And I was just like, I am at home. This is where I should be. Yes, I think I'm Peruvian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I just kept going back. So I kept just trying to fund my volunteering habits by selling cheese at Sainsbury's. And then I started lecturing and doing various things and just kept volunteering. I think what I found most amazing was, although I, I felt like I had something maybe that I knew that could be useful, I also felt I learned so much from those experiences. And what I really enjoyed was the collaboration. So it was kind of like, you know something, I know something, and together we can do something better that we wouldn't be able to do mm. either on our own. So so it wasn't really about me kind of going, these are my designs, make them. It was about, okay, what are the systems that you're already using? How can we improve on that? What techniques do you know? How can we kind of like change that a bit how can we make that more suitable more commercial so it was, it was all things like that so I absolutely loved it and I kept going sort of like for two months for three months um and then while I was doing that I got introduced to the Hope Jewelry Project they were super well organized and set up and had some really great skills but they didn't have a route to market and again it was just one of those things where I could just see the potential that actually between us we could we could do something so that's why I started just trade so that was yeah 15 years ago but I'd been volunteering in Peru for maybe five years before that amazing I mean yeah you, like, I think back when I started where does it come from 2012 ish and was doing I did another business before that but back then 
there wasn't really that, that many people. There was, I'm not saying there wasn't anyone because there were some amazing leaders, weren't they, in, in the field um, for People Tree for Fashion and obviously Body Shop and other brands, a lot of the fair trade brands like Tradecraft. But it wasn't anywhere near as mainstream now. So it must have felt a bit like you were pushing a snowball up the hill or something. Is that a terrible metaphor? But you know what I mean, in, in trying to work in that kind of way because businesses weren't used to working in that kind of way. I think I think what I kind of come across more often is there were sort of two main ways of, of doing business. There was these are the products that people are already making. These are artisans. These are kind of like their traditional skills. And it would be like, do you want to buy them? Or it was kind of like these are, for the want of a better word, Western designed products. And we're looking for ethical manufacture and we want to give opportunities. I guess what I've always wanted to do and probably because of my background come at it in a way where it's I come from a design training background so it's always been about okay how do we use the design process and how do we collaborate together to make something that yeah we couldn't do if it was me just designing or you just making and designing yourself because actually there's a there's a joint shared knowledge that means that we can do something bigger and better than than if it was just sort of like individuals working alone. And I think there is a little bit more research now into co-creative design. And definitely that is a, a lot of the conversations that have been going on with Fairtrade recently about sort of the authenticity of voice and how do you respect different people's perspective and being really careful about cultural appropriation yeah. and all those kind of things. So, so yeah, snowballs, hills, probably, but, <laughs> but more, I've just, more I've just really just felt it's been a massive privilege to work with people I work with. I always go and like stay with families that I work with. And I just think it's a privilege to be invited into people's lives like that. Mm. Um and it's not what you would get if you stayed in a luxury hotel and went and saw Machu Picchu. You get to know people and actually the real stuff that's going on. And yeah, no, I've just my dear, I've got such dear friends in in Peru and Ecuador and and India now. So I'm super no, lucky. <laughs> no, I, well, I agree with you. You know, I think hearing your story like this um, obviously we've chatted lots of times before but it shows me the similarities between us because firstly I kind of got into this well back at school and things like that because um, I was doing some work voluntary work at school but the thing that really triggered me was again a documentary so it shows you these documentaries are they, they have a strong effect I mean I think it was a red nose day or something and there was this woman from um, sub-Saharan Africa I can't remember exactly which country and they um, they interviewed her about what what's it like living there and it was all slightly you know high level I suppose and this lady said um it is just chance you know that you were born there and I was born here and that really strongly affected me I remember her face so clearly even now because it's like gosh that is so true it's just complete fluke about where we're born and the opportunities we get in life and it's so unfair and history has made it so unfair that it's only about trying to trying to do something to remedy that and to work with people. But the second thing I think that we've really got in common strongly is the collaboration side of thing, which 
does follow from the first point, getting to know the actual people, getting to build those connections with the actual people. I mean, I'm exactly the same when I go to India, I've stayed with my um, one of my suppliers, we become really strong friends over time, you know, and it's all about great, we can meet more people, we can find out more about these people and how they live. And that's kind of what I think is important about these kind of businesses of just trade and where does it come from is the people who are buying from us can also build those connections in a way because they get to, to find out a lot more about who is involved in making their products and that that must make you love the item more I hope oh totally I mean I I think um whenever I ask uh, anyone who makes any of our products yeah. I'm like so if I say what do you want to say to the people who buy this product and they say I want them to know that I made it with lots of love. Oh, that's so nice. And and I'm like, yeah, it's true. And actually, I I really believe there's a power in craft, and I believe there's a really strong power in in being able to make something and make something well that is really kind of nourishes the soul. And I think it's even better if someone knows that someone wants to buy that because they love it, mm. not because they feel sorry for you. And actually, oh, definitely, yeah, I trade not that, aid. I think that's and I think that's the thing about doing good design and good quality products is people want to buy them because they love the product. And and how nice is it that you've made something that someone wants to buy? Mm. Um, I think I would hate it if someone said. Oh, if I made my my own work, someone would say, "Oh, the poor short person from Birmingham. <laughs> Maybe we need to buy something from her because she probably needs some dental work." I mean, I hate that. Like, don't buy it because I'm short. Oh, I love it. that. Love that picture. If you like what I've done and you respect my work, don't buy it because you feel sorry for me. Yeah, that is such a good. Um, that is such a good way of putting it. Absolutely. That, <laughs> got me giggling and I think it's, 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 when you put it like that you kind of go oh actually yeah no, cringe yeah it's not even just about feeling sorry for them it's just that other thing isn't it I must admit one thing I, I love doing I absolutely love doing is sharing back photos of people wearing things so I'm always sending off it's the beauty of technology especially these days with whatsapp you can send back a picture that a customer sent me of them wearing something to the people who've actually made it and you can only hope that that's something that gives them joy that they know that their creation is being loved Oh my goodness, that is the best thing. That that's one of the first things I always do whenever I go, which has been a while since I've been to Peru and Ecuador and India. Because I can't there. think why. I don't know. There's something going on. Don't know if you heard. Um, <laughs> but the first thing I do is I go this. Now this is your work in the shop, and this is your work being worn, and this and. But I think I'm often show, showing people here like oh, here's a picture of Lisette who made your pendant. So I need to show Lisette, here's a picture of Nancy who's wearing your pendant. Yeah. And uh, that's just so exciting. It is, and, uh, it is. Because I, again, if it was my work, well, even now, if I see someone on the train wearing any just trade earrings or something, I just want to follow them and go, do you know who made your earrings? Yeah. I don't know who made your earrings. <laughs> the same, the same. I know when we did our African tunic project a couple of years ago, and obviously they're quite leery, so I shouldn't say that word. They're quite bright and cheerful. So you can always spot someone wearing them. Yeah. And, you know, there's a few people, especially around our local area, who, who wear them. And when I see them in a shop, and Lucy, who's our product manager, she's quite often sends me photos that she's snapped in a shop of someone wearing it. We're both like, ooh, <laughs> I know it's, it's, the, it's the best thing it's the absolute best thing and I, I also what I really like doing is um, every time I go to a different 
country, I take everyone a present from one of the other projects. Mm -hmm. So if I go to Peru, I take more um, a pair of earrings made by the ladies that we work with in India. Lovely. And then that is amazing because then I show all the ladies in Peru. Here's the ladies in India who made them. And then we do swap um photos and everyone gets really super interested and they go oh I really like their clothes and <laughs> rice in the background and what's the food and and um I've got this one girl this set who is amazing lives in Peru and uh she's called her daughter Priyanka which is a really Indian Aww. name <laughs> and her dream is to come with me to India so that she can we can do some training together and yeah I'm totally going to make that happen but it might take a few years <laughs> That's that's so exciting. I absolutely love that. And sharing across the cultures is an absolutely fascinating one, isn't it? It's a really mm. interesting idea because it's not just sharing between the producers and the customers. It's actually across the producers, which is fabulous, really. I think it's really interesting because there's so much that we all have in common, so much that we all have in common. And yet the differences are also really interesting. I always think that I find it really interesting when I'm like, okay, what's weird about English people? <laughs> <laughs> so much. So much. And <laughs> basically, everyone just says to me, I can't believe you're English because you're so short. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> it always comes back to being short. I always feel incredibly tall. I'm quite average height. I'm 5'5". Five five. And when, when I go to India, I always feel massively tall. I went to a wedding of one of our producer's brothers. And it was this huge, great wedding. And I just felt so tall and like I stuck out like a sore thumb, actually. <laughs> it, is, it is quite weird. Yeah, Ruth, who's 5'5 five five and works for, works for us. When, when we look at the photos, she's like head and shoulders above everybody else. Whereas I'm, I'm just normal. <laughs> Oh, right. anyway um so we both come from this very collaborative starting point and mm. uh, it's so lovely to hear about what you're doing um and we won't talk about shortness and tallness anymore but what what do you look for when you're identifying groups of artisans to work with how do you grow your artisan groups so well basically the same as the way that we started so we don't really start with a group who can make our designs uh we start with a group of people who need work so every single group we start with it's can we build something with them together can we have a long-term relationship and can we add value to what they're already doing so so with the group initial group in peru it was a it was looking at what skills they already have what skills can do we have that we can teach what skills do they can they teach each other mm-hmm what type of work is needed so in Peru for example all the work that is needed is part-time so people don't want to work full-time they've got families they want to be able to work around them actually what they're trying to avoid is having to work in a nice house two hours journey away where Mm -hmm. they're housekeeper and cleaner and work eight hours a day travel for four hours a day and don't ever see their families Mm -hmm. what they want is stuff that's more local that they can do to fit around their families and then we also look at what materials are available locally and and also obviously think about who's the end customer. And all of these different aspects feed into the process and the design and the price point. Um, so any group that we, everything has kind of happened organically. We've been approached sort of like, oh, w- with India, it was, um, we were approached by someone who said, oh, we've set up this group in rural Tamil Nadu. Um, we've done 
tailoring training, but actually there are loads of electricity cuts all the time. So they've been trained to have, how to use sewing machines, but actually half the time they can't use them. Mm-hmm. And could you teach some jewelry skills? And so that's how we, and in India, we started with like eight people, eight women, and we've now got like 30 there and it's connected to a refuge. And the women that we work with there, loads of them have just not, just not been given any opportunity. They're from like the lower castes and a lot, the state that we work in, um, there's a big history of girls being married off very young, even though it's now illegal. But that causes all sorts of issues and, and problems and, and means that they don't finish education and stuff. So so it's it's sort of, it's been word of mouth. It's always been, can we work long term? Can we add value? And is there something that is not going to be a conflict with anything else that we already work with so we probably wouldn't kind of keep taking on lots of groups that have the same skills but or use the same materials but try and look for sort of the uniqueness within that context so for example in Ecuador we work with lots of people who use tagwood to produce jewelry which is a nut a seed from the jungle which is Mm -hmm. incredible material sometimes known as vegetable ivory because it looks a bit like ivory it's not (laughs) at all it's a super sustainable environmentally friendly and actually was used really widely in the button industry before the invention of plastics and seen a bit of a resurgence in the in the last few years so so in Ecuador we specialize in working with groups who use the tag work but try and work with them to develop products that are different what you often see in 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 many context where there is a lot to do with tourism is you see one stall that sells figurines of unicorns next to another stall that sells figurines of unicorns next to another stall that sells figurines of unicorns and you go well which one and then it becomes about price it doesn't become about exactly anything other than price and it becomes a race to the bottom who can make it cheapest so then you make it cheaper then you make it worse so I'm really passionate about working with groups to help them develop products that they're not competing on price. We're making handmade products. We're going to make them well, and we're going to compete on uniqueness of design and professionalism. Yeah. I don't know if that actually answers your question. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. And I think the collaboration thing again is so important. It's also some interesting points there about the customer. And I was talking on a previous podcast to somebody about this, this, this thing we've had maybe over the last 20 years, 30 years, perhaps, in UK Western culture about the customer always being right and Mm. most product development coming from being driven by that customer and what they feel that they need so whether it be unicorns or or whatever Um, it's the same with clothing exactly the same with clothing whereas in fact the supply chain covers a huge number of people and why should the customer's viewpoint be the only one that matters just because they've got the purse and people might say that's a bit naive but I actually think it's about collaboration across the whole thing and almost educating people across the whole thing so you're also educating the customer about why they don't want to just be buying unicorn statues all the time yes yeah I I also think um it's yeah it's it's about acknowledging what the zeitgeist is what the trends are but not jumping on the trend bandwagons yeah. because actually it's not about fast fashion. It's about particularly with jewelry is quite a different world to the fashion world. Anyway, I, 
I admire you for working in that in that in that context. I'm not sure um, I do. <laughs> it's 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 a it's a it's a tricky one. Yeah. Um, but about yeah, looking at, at kind of just things that actually you might not know if you've never travelled outside of your village. Like, yeah. Why would you know that? statement earrings are really fashionable in London you wouldn't know that because you don't know what London's like so how do you work with people to develop products and that's the bit where you know something yes and they and between you you all kind of like teach and learn together and develop together I think what's what's been interesting last um Last couple of years or so, I've been working on another project called Making Links, mm -hmm. which is about teaching the design process. And last week, I was running a workshop in the mountains in Ecuador, obviously on Zoom. <laughs> and I know, shame, right? And I invited Christina, who I work with in Peru and been working with for 15 years, Magdalena, who works in Quito in, in, in Ecuador, who's been... Um, exporting products for 20 years now and I've been working with for 10 and we were working with some women who may use this beautiful technique where they basically make fiber out of aloe vera oh, wow. leaves and do kind of this basket making technique incredible so much potential I'm super excited about it but they haven't actually managed to get things to market yet but what was amazing was Christina and Magdalena were able to go oh yes no we had that problem where actually everything kept coming out the wrong size and these are the systems that we use and just I think there's something so valuable about that sharing of knowledge yeah. so that's one thing I'm super passionate about yeah no I think that, that's so so interesting isn't it and also maybe it doesn't seem quite so I don't know I want to say patronizing but it's probably not the right word but if it's coming from people from their own culture who've done the same kinds of things from where they are then maybe they, they can understand that a bit more can relate to that a bit more so really you're bringing in experts that have even more more in common with the people that they're talking to which I think is really valuable I also think it's it's really important for me that they don't go oh you're the designer from the west <laughs> because mm. actually it's more i'm another i'm another cog in the system yeah and everyone has got something valuable to bring and the because i went to art college i know some stuff that you don't know because you didn't go to art college but all that stuff is 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 teachable all the things are learnable it's like design is not a magical process you can no, learn exactly and I've always been very much the same I mean I didn't go to art college or anything but when I'm working with our groups our social enterprises in particularly in India I know that they know far more than I do about fabrics and what works well in terms of you know what what dyes work well with which fabrics and what you should sew in which way or whatever and as you say I can just bring in information like I might say for example a few years ago we want we wanted to do something about bees, you know, in relating to the sort of save the bees campaigns. Mm -hmm. And then we spent quite a lot of time on working with bees and trying to choose. But they had so many really good design ideas I wouldn't have thought of. But then similarly, we decided to do something with teapots because we were working with a charity called the Teapot Project. They didn't really know what a teapot was because their idea of a teapot was completely different. So I had to send them pictures of sort of Western teapots. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's weird. Some things translate and some things don't. don't... <laughs> 
Yeah, I know it was really interesting. I love the scarves; they, they came out really well. But they had to they had to base it on what I'd sent them because I suppose they, their idea of a teapot is big and gold and completely different, much nicer probably than what we have. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to go back to you talked about what the artisans were looking for in terms of work, which I thought was a really interesting point. So I want to just touch on that mm-hmm. because go you talked about going to someone else's house two hours away to work as a domestic labourer. And I think that's that's a really key one that, you know, it's it's about dignified livelihoods, isn't it? It's about the livelihoods that you actually want yourself rather than um, saying, well, they've got work, so that's fine. Because I know you look, again, looking at the garment industry, which I obviously know a little bit more about than, than jewellery, where people have to actually leave their children in the rural areas with grandparents and then go to the city and live in horrible high-rise blocks and things like that just to just to earn enough money to send back home again and that's we might say well okay they've got work that's fine isn't it the garment industry works but what kind of livelihood is that how is that giving you any kind of dignity or self-respect I think it's it's to do with um yeah quality of life and I think that family and friends and community is really important for all of us so I think being able to work in a way that means that you actually get to spend time with your family and your friends and in your community it's what's well, important to me so and um, I know it's really important to to everyone that I I work with in in India it's slightly different we actually have a production unit it's not our production unit it belongs to Flowering Desert that's the mm-hmm. name of the project and actually the way that we that it's it, things are set up there are that um there's, so there's a ref, women's refuge and children's refuge on site. The children get taken to school in the bus. The bus stops in the village, picks up all the women who then get free travel to work. And okay. then at the end of the day, takes the women back and picks the children up. So it's really economical. And uh, and actually, the women get to work together in community That's for a lovely. short period of time. They work for six hours rather than an eight-hour day. And so they still get time with their families that they want, but are able to learn a skill and spend time with other women mm, and be really supportive of each other in all aspects of life. Cause mm. I think that's what we all need, isn't it? Yes. And well, it's, it's also, um, we worked a lot with women in rural areas of India who through, through the marriage agreements or just through the communities that they're in, they don't get to leave the house very often without, mm. you know, male escort and that kind of thing. So part of the, part of the point of the cooperatives that we work with is you can't enforce change so quickly but what you can do is gradually do it and one thing I particularly liked was the idea that they they'd give they say to the, the families well the women can work from home they can be earning a bit of money we'll install a, a weaving loom or a spinning charcoal in their home so that they can actually work there but then of course when it came to they'd finished their their created their fabrics they then were mandated to bring that to the um, cooperative themselves and be paid themselves. And the families were not overly keen because obviously this wasn't something that they did, but because there was money at the end of it, the um, women could could then go there. And that, so that widened their horizon just that little bit. And it's those gradual steps to making things a little bit different for some of the more vulnerable people. It, it is, it's very interesting, I think, in terms of like what what do you accept as okay this is just cultural Mm. and what is like actually no this this we need to shift this a little bit yes exactly and I think when it becomes about equality particularly women's equality 
in the, a lot of the communities that we work in, very patriarchal. Yeah. Machismo society and actually being able to help women make decisions for themselves and have a bit more autonomy about where their income is coming from and what decisions they can make for their children mm-hmm. is really really valuable it is and and also increasing the respect i mean that once they become a earning member of a family group they suddenly automatically got more respect within mm-hmm. that group yeah, so it's, yeah. it's about changing it. i mean there's a, l- a very interesting lady you may remember from the um ethical brands for fashion revolution conference last year madhu who mm-hmm. ba- is based in a rural um community near jaipur and she wasn't supposed to work even though she'd been educated to a very high level and what she did then was in her local village that she got moved to as part of her marriage I mean, she's an amazing woman she set up a um an embroidery unit and then, of course, it was all voluntary. But then, of course, when they saw that this was actually something that could make money, she was then able to turn that into work for many of the women within women within the village and get international clients for their embroidery. So and then suddenly they, they become a valuable part of that community, more valuable part of that community than they were more respected anyway. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? <laughs> no, it is. It is. I, I really admire some of these women are just so in, awe-inspiring in terms of their guts to to just sort of challenge things and and work um, within within the bounds of what they have, but to make things better for their fellow women and next generations as well, which I think is really important. Yeah, I think I think there's an awful lot of investment in the future and their children's future, mm. which is really just to see that resilience and and drive I'm going to send my children to university I'm going to make sure they get a really good education it it makes such a difference when you kind of sometimes sit and think oh my goodness I didn't really like doing that at school like what a privilege to have an education I know I know exactly I say that to my kids all the time you can't believe how lucky you are but then I remember my mum saying it to me and I probably listened about as much as they listened to be really honest (laughs) Anyway, talking about some of the people, you must have a favourite. Do you have like a favourite project or a favourite customer or a favourite group that you've worked with? I don't, I think they're all really different. I love them all. I guess my, I started in Peru, so I do feel very, very at home in Peru. And the project in Peru, Hope Jewellery, yeah, we've been like 100% committed to yeah for 15 years so I do always love work going there but equally I really love going to Ecuador and in Peru we work in Lima in this in the capital in Ecuador I work with my wonderful colleague Wilma who's who's got again loads of experience working in fair trade incredible woman and um we travel around quite a lot so Lima's quite a lot of sort of staying in the same place which is amazing means you get a bit more time with people and you can do a little bit more sort of longer training every time I go we try and learn a new technique that can then influence design so that's always just really nice to have that kind of long-term sort of bit more time with people mm-hmm. in Ecuador it's much more sort of like overnight bus journey two days of workshop another overnight bus journey oh. earthquake Another overnight. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so it's it's a different pace, and I think I I would like to spend more time in those places to get to know people a bit better. Mm. And India is wonderful again. It's 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 rural. It's 
completely remote and cut off, completely different to Lima, which is just full on noise the entire time. So, so everywhere is different. I think, mm. I think, yeah, it's always about the people though. Definitely. Yeah. It's always about, and I think, yeah, the, the solidarity and the friendship. So I don't Wonderful. know if that answers your question. No, it's really interesting. And what about customers? Have you, you've obviously done quite a few um, business commissions. So what, what kinds of customers do you really love working with? Just in case there's some possible future ones listening in. Oh, no. I, I Well, we love working with all customers, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course. But I think we've really found it really enjoyable working in museum gallery heritage sector and mm -hmm. and also charity working with some charities as well um i think i really like working with people who their main it's not just about selling products for the sake of yeah. selling products it's about um making money to invest into a charitable cause or raising awareness or education so that's what you get with when you're working with these cultural institutions mm. so yeah, we've got some is. customers who have just been so unbelievably loyal for so long that we're eternally grateful to like the uh imperial war museums who have been buying our crocheted poppies the oh, first lovely. year they bought 80 they, they said oh could you do a poppy i was like oh i think we could do a poppy we did 80 i was so pleased with an order for 80 poppies and year on year, we've been getting orders for 3,000, 4,000, wow. 5,000, which That's just meant so much more. We can offer more work to more people. And um, yeah, no, so that's been a really long term collaboration, as has we've been working with St. Paul's Cathedral for years as well, who have just been really inspirational in the way that they have embraced uh, working with fair trade groups and producers and really trying to kind of communicate the ethics and the value of fair trade so yeah wonderful wonderful now the poppy store is lovely really nice one because that's a kind of commodity item but one that is going to hold its value through years but then having that depth of story about what the poppy means in terms of its um you know it, its cultural meaning but then linking that up with actually doing some good at the same time I think is a fantastic thing it's, it's really nice actually because we work in uh, some of the poppies are made in a place called Ayacucho, which was really badly affected by a time of terrorism and, and troubles in, in Peru. And a lot of the women there have been really affected by kind of internal conflict. And so actually having that link and telling that story and, and the remembrance aspect is really interesting. Yeah, it chimes really nicely, doesn't it? So, um, don't you obviously hearing all your stories Laura you can really tell about your deep commitment to fair trade but then you changed your uh, widened your commitment to fair trade by becoming the chair of the BAFS forum so what on earth I mean sorry what made you decide to do that no yeah what on earth is <laughs> better, better way of putting it we've always as just trade we've always found a great value in being part of the Basque community. I think, again, it's about collaboration, about shared information. And yet again, some of our dearest friends we've met through fair trade. And so we've always been quite an active member of the Basque community and sort of, and we've yeah, just trade, we really are quite sociable. So um, we have been very keen to organise kind of get togethers. And, and I, do, I do just think that actually sharing information, I think it's very, it's quite 
specific and sometimes quite random the situations that we're working in and I feel like it's just really comfortable particularly as well as we're often quite very small organizations don't Mm. have loads of people working for us and actually to meet up with people who have potentially gone through similar things and have had the same issues with customs or whatever or everything coming over the wrong color or yep (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah yeah (laughs) or um it's just really comforting and also really you I've just we've been able to share ideas and knowledge and information with so many people so so that's why we were quite always been quite involved in that and I've always found the conferences really inspirational and always been tried to be sort of willing to share if I've if I've learned something through my mistakes that might be useful for someone else so they can stop don't have to make the same mistakes as me then I'm really happy to do that so I gave a talk at um back conference in York and uh, I was then accosted by uh Diane from Lancacade who was former chair of Bass who said um I really think it's time for you to step up Laura she just said you clearly have some knowledge and I think it's time for you to step up. And I was like, I don't think I do. And she's like, no, you've got some experience. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe it is. And actually this could be, I felt like there was probably something that I could, again, I could probably add value because of my background from, from a design point of view, I thought there was probably some potential. And so I agreed to join the board and then I was very heavily involved in organising the conference for the following year in London. That was a um, London one, yes, I remember. That was an excellent conference. Yeah, and you you did an excellent talk. I oh, remember. Was that, yeah, I did. I did. I did do an excellent talk. I did a talk anyway. <laughs> but yes, no, I've forgotten that. I was thinking. Talk. I was sadly just thinking about the delicious lunch. I must admit. Yeah, no. Well, it's delicious lunch, delicious dinner, excellent talk. Um, no, it was a really. It, it was very well attended and really great great conference and it was just before that actually the rest of the board basically said we didn't have a chair at the time we had a year without a chair and they just sort of said oh we think you should you should take this on so I said I'd do it for three years so I've just finished my three years and um I'm on the board for another two but oh my goodness it's been such a privilege being part of this organization and community and yeah not without its challenges I wasn't really anticipating a pandemic yes Uh, (laughs) but but actually I think I mean there are three main ideas around kind of bass one is the idea of accountability that you are accountable for what you do and it's through a peer assessment and and actually I think it that really helps it's really helped us to strive to do better in our business and fair trade and our ethics and our motivation and improve the standards. And they encourage you to set ongoing improvement targets. So it's not just about, I tick all the boxes on fair trade. It's about, this is an ongoing commitment, an ongoing journey, and we can keep getting better. And that sense of community that I was talking about and kind of peer to peer kind of support and networking and just kind of like, being able to find someone and go, oh my goodness, this has happened. What did have you? Has this ever happened to you? What did you do? I can't fill in the customs form. And then inspiration. I just think, again, as you were saying, you've met so many inspiring people mm. through the work that you do. That actually, sometimes you just kind of go, I just want more of that. And so, so yeah, it's been, it's been a privilege. It's not been 
the most straightforward but it has been fantastic being part and I'm still I'm delighted to still be part of the board for the next couple of years and then I think it's probably time for me to go and across someone else (laughs) oh god (laughs) keep my head down no I think I think you're absolutely right and I think about um the collaboration side is really important but certainly running a, a small business which is very different from most small businesses. So like local networking groups are great and I go to them where when we're able to, but it's not the same because they're not looking for the same impacts as we're looking for. We're looking for impacts on our all of our stakeholders, which include the, well, very much include the people making things and people further back in the supply chain. So for us, it's farmers. I want farmers to have benefit, even though I probably won't meet most of the farmers, but you know, I want mm-hmm. to have all of the people having that impact. And then the environment, which is a very nebulous thing to have as a stakeholder, unfortunately. Fortunately, more people are getting concerned with getting involved with that. But trying to finding a group of people that have those kind of similar goals, impact goals, and being able to talk to them about nitty gritty things like customs forms and what happens when things go wrong. But also it helps you up your game, doesn't it? Because you see what other people are doing. You see how other people are thinking. And together you can almost, I don't know get everybody growing that little bit more because we're sharing information and knowledge but also aspiration I think definitely definitely I I do think kind of being able to share information share stories work together I think definitely is it's the way forward and there's a lot of shops in your network as well isn't there and obviously I've got close links with our local Ipswich fair trade shop and I think it's great for them to then have that link with other shops and they can be comparing notes and then being part of something bigger because otherwise I mean those ladies Margaret and Anne they know I think they're totally inspirational because they've been running this for 30 years they've been doing this and they've got so much knowledge and I've asked them to be on I've asked Margaret to be on the podcast and she's like oh no I don't really want to do that they're just so modest and that they don't shout about the amazing work that they do there must be other shops out there who have similarly been working for tens of years doing doing this amazing work and they they're sort of handing a future on to the next generation I think I think what I found really inspiring about a lot of the bath shops is is the amount of knowledge about product about where things come from about about uh, environmental issues and I've seen as I when I first I mean, I used to go around and visit quite a lot of bath shops anyway to show them new products and things. But every single time I've been to any uh, bath shop, I've come away energised, normally with basically most of my groceries for the next <laughs> yeah. and my birthday presents. But just not only have they got the knowledge about fair trade but the and the kind of environmental impact on products, but that they are really hearts and heart and soul of communities. And actually there are bath shops that have like attached to kind of conference centers or attached to cafes or, or kind of end up selling tickets for like the local festival Mm. or work as the cashback place in the village because nowhere else does cashback. And yeah, just uh, the times I've spent in bath shops have just been really precious in terms of knowing how integral they are to the local community Mm. and again it's about making those connections isn't it those international connections at a really local level yeah definitely I mean and it's it's just so important and I think they're so undersold as well they undersell themselves I don't mean financially but in terms of the benefit that they have Um, because at the Ipswich shop I know that all the workers there apart from 
uh, I think the Saturday person and the manager are volunteers and they're a community of people who get together. Maybe they're people who live on their own or they've retired or something. And then that's giving they're giving back, but also they're they're getting something. They're getting that feeling of community and being part of something bigger. So I just think it's so special. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it really is. It's really precious. Good. Well, so you've done your, um, you've led your organisation through a pandemic, the Baths and Just Trade. That must have been quite an interesting one. We've all had unforeseen challenges and I suppose benefits in some ways with the technology and being able to link more globally through the pandemic. I have to find a, a plus point in there somewhere. But I suppose the, the important question really going forward is how do we grow this? How do we grow fair trade? How do we change the culture and get the government more on board and more and more businesses on board as well? Well, I think it's more of the same, really. I think it's collaboration working together. So in terms of what BAFs are doing, we're really actively trying to work more with other like-minded organisations. So like the WFTA, World Fair Trade Organisation, uh, Fair Trade Foundation, Tradecraft Exchange, Trade Justice Movement, Ethical Hour, obviously we had Sean speak at our conference. Mm-hmm. Extinction Rebellion, again, um, inviting other really key players within within this whole kind of uh, conversation to, to, to be the inspiration and join kind of the community. So, yeah, we've kind of collaborated with Scottish Fair Trade Forum, Fair Trade Wales, Social Enterprise UK, those type of organisations about kind of just being a force for for good and a different way of doing trade really and then I think there's also definitely so I think there are some there are some organizations that obviously have a lot more resources and bigger clout BAFS is quite a small organization and quite unique in its in its um in its remit in its makeup but I think by partnering with other organizations and to give that unique voice for example the trade justice movement do a lot of uh, lobbying and um political stuff that to be honest goes a lot above my head but we are part of that and they are the experts within that particular forum and make sure that they get the say on government white papers and things so Mm -hmm. i think it's really important to add weight to that type of thing and things like Social Enterprise UK and Living Wage Foundation. And then I think is also one of the things that I've tried to start doing, which building on the work of former boards and chairs is is kind of get try and get past a little bit more mainstream. So for example, we we sponsored the gift of the year ethical category over this last year and trying to get more links with other trade organizations that can get this whole message of actually a people and planet centered focused business a bit more mainstream and I think there is an there's an appetite for it particularly after the pandemic I think there's more than ever there is an appetite I think we've seen a lot of lot of difficulties I think we have seen a lot of kindnesses over the last couple of years Mm. and um long may it last and I think we have seen a lot of people really actually start to think okay where is my money going and how can I make decisions small decisions with my money that are going to have bigger impacts than lining the pockets of a multi-billionaire. I think it's interesting actually because one thing that 
I suppose I, I sort of subconsciously railed against in the beginning was the shop local and not because I'm anti shop shop local but I was seeing I was seeing that as something that was hitting back against fair trade but actually I think I, I was totally wrong I think shop local actually gets people thinking more about where their products come from and then it might not come from your local area or maybe it might have been finished in your local area but if you actually know the whole supply chain the whole transparent supply chain of where something's come from that's so much better than some faceless nameless big corporation that's not going to tell you the information so i think shop local actually has a really big part to play in fair trade in a weird sort of way oh definitely definitely and it comes back to the fair trade shops that i was saying like actually the these fair trade shops that are like heart of the community the local community but having global impact and i think a lot of our very dear lovely customers are independent boutiques and mm. local shops and and they have a relationship with their customers the local people who come in regularly who are kind of keeping up with oh what's new in just trade and what's the set making this year and and yeah. i just love all those connections i think it's exactly brilliant. so shop local is really more about shop knowingly isn't it shop mm. i don't know Definitely. a better word but it's not just about everything's got to be grown produced everything in your local area because that's not possible anyway because if you want something made of certain minerals you're never going to get them from the UK but so so, so it's part of a bigger a bigger pattern I, so I suppose I see it more as a end of facelessness it's a it's that it's a community again back to that word again isn't it a global community but all but with a with a local um, front end I suppose for people to go to so well, I think it, I always find it really interesting mm. I think the the fashion revolution where they're where it's sort of who made my jewelry who made my clothes mm. um asking that question and having artisans come back to you saying i made your jewelry i made your clothes and i've always been really conscious about how i explain that to people who i'm artisans who are some partners and makers who i've been asking to hold a sign saying I yeah. made your and, and i i really just simply explain it like lots of people think that things are made in factories yeah and actually if they know that you made this that's really interesting and exciting and mm. we get to show your skill and um and then they go oh yeah we need to we need to make sure that people understand who makes our products and yes. that we are really proud of what we've made and it's made with love Definitely, definitely. But interesting. Now, again, back to the woman I mentioned earlier, Madhu from um, India. She said to me, she gets her embroiderers to hold up the sign, and they say, "Well, why am I holding this up? I don't even understand what it means." And it's more a part of they they want to be part of, have a voice. So she says, "I don't just want to be given a sign to hold up. If you're involving us in this, then you we want to be involved in everything about the design process. You know, don't just turn up and help perspectives or hold a sign up." So I thought it was quite interesting. One, it's more it's oh, it's that definitely. yeah, bringing bringing them more on board generally rather than just like you said right at the beginning. It's not about these are our designs, you make them. It's about getting that whole collaborative process together and then being far more of a part of that, not just something at the very far end who who gets their prices forced on them and their designs forced on them and everything else. So it's it's fascinating. fascinating. Now, I'm, I'm very well aware that you and I could talk about this for probably three or four days without stopping for Probably. breath 
<laughs> but I think um, I think really uh, I'll bring it to an end there. I think the point is to say well done for all your amazing work with BAFTS and with all of your fair trade work with Just Trade. And it's been so interesting having an hour to sit down with you and talk about your your journey, which some of it I didn't know anyway. So that's quite quite interesting about all your different trips around South America and India and, and everything. I can just imagine you with your backpack on and off you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's been really interesting to spend the time, and it's so lovely to um, to talk about collaboration and how important that is. So I'm really hoping that the people who are listening to this will really get a taste for the collaborative side and go and find out where their jewellery came from. Go and check out Just Trade, and hopefully buy some of your beautiful products. So Laura Cave, thank you so much for coming on to the Where Does It Come From podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to just have a chat and uh yeah i don't normally need much encouragement and as i as you say i think we probably could carry on for the next three days so uh, we'll resume this conversation at the conference next year yes hopefully anybody, in person no, in person and if anybody wants to know more about bass the, the bass website is bass.org.uk and there's loads more information and links to all the fabulous fast members who are all doing incredible work around the world and have fantastic products and is that conference going to be in the wales um center in wales it's going to be the center for alternative technology in wales we're trying to get to wales for three years we are going to wales (laughs) last year i was definitely coming to wales and then i obviously couldn't come to wales because some somebody started a global pandemic and spoiled it all never mind we'll get there wonderful thank you so much laura and i'm sure we'll talk again okay thank you so much joe